coaching is changing. No more gatekeepers. No more barriers. No one standing between you and your readers. Do you want to make a living from your writing? Join indie bestseller Mark Dawson and James Blatch as they shine a light on the secrets of self-publishing success. This is The Self-Publishing Show. There's never been a better time to be a writer. Hello and welcome to a festive edition of The Self-Publishing Show with me, James Blatch. And me, Mark Dawson. Hello, James Blatch. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. We're recording this. this. A week before Christmas. Yeah. And all was quiet. Nothing did stir in the house but a mouse or something like that. Um, yes, we're wearing Christmas jumpers you happen to be watching on video. We're also trialling, or trialling, I think I'm going to use it, a new recording system, which I'm liking a lot. It's going to mm. ease our workflow. I also quite like the idea of the two of us being in vision at the same time. I think that's more of a podcasty thing. We used to cut between us. I still could do that, but we're going to experiment. You can let us know what you think comment on youtube we should go through our youtube comments more often i did go through quite a lot this week and there's some great comments oh, I there do. yeah we should um yeah, I we should yeah. bring them on air a bit i think obviously we do get the odd you do realize people only tune in for the content i had, I had one of those quite recently yes, yeah there, there, there's a bit of that but i think generally people um people, people quite like, the bands. like it so Anyone, yes, anyone can, is, is free to leave a comment telling us how much they either enjoy or don't enjoy. I do, I do look at them and yeah. I take away the things that I think we improve the podcast and I discard everything else. So, <laughs> um, but no, it's all, all feedback is, is very welcomed and happily received. Good. Okay. Well, look, we have one new course to talk about and it is AI marketing for authors. Uh, it's just been released. It's mm. a steal at $99. Absolute steal, considering how much blood, sweat and tears went into this course. And I did enjoy doing it very much. You've done half of it. I've done half of it. So it's a Blatch Dawson production. Um, and if you want to have a look at what's in the course, whether you think it's going to be worth $99 of your hard-earned money, it is at selfpublishingformula.com forward slash AI course. It's only going to be at $99 until the end of this year and end of 2023 it'll go up to its full price of 149 next year um and it is i don't know i know it's controversial mark and there will be people throwing things at the screen at the moment but um it's a bit like the advent of the typewriter the of photoshop of of the internet of digitization of, of the kindle and everything else there are these step changes that happen every now and again and there's no question that ai is a step change in our industry in every industry Yes, absolutely. So there is, you know, I've, we've we've spoken about this at length before, and I'm kind of thinking I might do something, a kind of a solo show on on AI, perhaps. But yeah, I mean, I've I've, I've had conversations with um, friends at the retailers, not not just Amazon, or some of the other platforms as well, just talking about how they're they're approaching it, and it is, it's a very interesting subject. Um, and the retailers, I think, it would be fair to say, are running as hard as they can to keep up with it just like everybody else's because it is it's adapting quite quickly um and i think they're they're you know they're doing their best to deal with it in as fair a way as, as possible but yeah you're absolutely right there's no there's no question about it it is out there now and it isn't going to go away um and just as was the case when e-readers came along they that didn't affect print um, you know, print sales are still very robust, um, and then it was KU was the next controversial thing. Is was that going to harm ebook sales? Probably not. In fact, it probably actually increased revenue for authors generally. Um, and, and this will be this is the next thing to wrestle with, and it isn't easy. I, I you know, I'm, I'm certainly I think you're slightly more gung ho when it comes to AI than I am, um, and that's that's fine. I think I'm I'm slightly more. But well, I am more pro it than plenty of others, and I, I've, you know, I'm, I'm aware of some conversations going around um, suggesting that, you know, every time you know that, that we've sold out, um, and I've seen the same thing said about Joanna Penn, and you know that's fine. It, it's it's not people can say what they like. It it isn't it isn't that. I think it, it would be foolish to pretend that this you know that there's not a great big AI sized elephant in, in the yeah. room with us at the moment. So it's got to be dealt with, you know, and. Um, yeah, this this is a good course. It's it's fun. You know, I've I've been impressed with the stuff that you've done with images. I I, I found the kind of um, 
copywriting ability pretty good um needs tons of work but it's it's a very good starting position and some of the other things actually one thing i don't know if i told you about i'm waffling a bit here but i'm um, kind of it is ai related one of the things that chat gpt has done now the, the paid premium version offers kind of customizable gpts and some of them it, it kind of prepares some for you and one of them is statistical analysis um so I thought that would be quite interesting. So I, I did, because I've been wrestling with this for ages, trying to find a really robust way of calculating read-through, because it is so important. Um, mm. And I've, I've hired a statistician before. We, we might be hiring one with Fuse to, to give this another look. But I thought I'd see what ChatGPT thought if I put in things like sales through the series, uh, revenue across the books, uh, and, and it could kind of work out what it thought the sale of book one was worth. And it did a really, really good job of that. Um, it was it was very interesting. Um, and roughly what I was thinking, what I was kind of operating on anyway, but it was good to get that kind of effectively given a second opinion. Um, so that, you know, the, it, it mm. can do all kinds of things. You just got to kind of think laterally. And if there's anything that has, is vexing you, then I'd say it's a good it's a good idea to see whether you could get some assistance with, with an AI model. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is amazing. You always forget it's there when you're wrestling with some tasks, that it's it's another, effectively another person to bounce ideas off and, and get some feedback on, get some help with. And it's, a, yeah, it is, a, like I say, it's a step change and we're, we're adjusting to it. And it isn't easy. And I do have sympathy with the people who are anxious and concerned, particularly if you're a cover designer or in areas you specifically think mm. might be taken away by AI. Um, copywriting. I've, copywriting. Well, also, I mean, and novel writing. I mean, let's yes. let's be completely honest about this. There is no question that it, it won't be long before AI will write novels. I mean, hopefully, well, and I, I novel, suspect, surely. yeah, it, it is. But I mean, hopefully, and I suspect this will be the case for some time, probably quite a long time. They will be pretty shit novels. Um, yes. That would be my hope. Um, but yeah, again, so it affects everybody, and I, I think people might be saying at this point that, like, well, you know, you don't buy putting out a course encouraging people to use AI in a limited fashion number one you're being hypocritical and number two you're making it more likely that things will advance well the first point I can't yeah I suppose that's a fair comment second point um it's that's silly I mean what we do has no effect at all on anything um and you know we're not increasing the you know the the pace that ai adapts and and new opportunities arise it's just we're just kind of going with the flow this is the zeitgeist and um yeah you know i mean when are, amazon put their restriction on how many books you could upload a day and i have no inside info on this mm. but they didn't restrict that because they think in the future people might be doing they did it because people are suddenly uploading dozens of books a day spat out by ai probably thousands and thousands and thousands of pages generated by ai ai are going up there every day but as you say, I mean, you, you used the eloquent phrase a bit shit. What Joanna points out mm. is, is there's always going to be this lack of the human condition in there because that is unique to us. Well, not, not always. No, not, I mean, I, they can replicate it. Yeah, I if think they're... at some point that, that will happen. But I mean, the, 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 the way around it is, um, is fostering a relationship with your, with your readers, building a readership mm. and then communicating them with social media or with um you know newsletters or all that kind of stuff videos eventually of course that will be able to do that as well so yes. <laughs> i reckon we've got about five years um <laughs> we'll find something else we anyway, happy um, christmas happy christmas yes, everyone we'll go to car renovation or something like that um <laughs> good okay look let's get on with our interview today our christmas interview today it is with paddy finn uh some of you will know his name uh, he's quite prominent in our in our community paddy is based in northern ireland and uh, he has pivoted a bit from writing novels to producing the uh, scripts or outlines for Dungeons and Dragons style games and he has done phenomenally well at this. They are still books that are sold but they're, they're sort of quite big weighty tomes and are designed for gameplay. He employs a staff I think he said of nine now in his operation uh, he's done so well i'm so impressed with paddy and it was a real pleasure to talk to him and also for for me if you're not into D and i'm i'm not actually you might think i am but i'm not i actually do try to unpick that with him what exactly it is how it works 
and it's not just about dragons and medieval stuff um, actually uh, quite surprisingly it could fit a whole range of genres maybe even the genre that you're writing in so let's hear from Paddy Finn then Mark and I will be back for a quick chat at the end of the interview this is the self-publishing show there's never been a better time to be a writer uh, Paddy Finn, welcome to the self-publishing show. Just saying you look like a gamer. We're going to be talking a bit about gaming and writing and the conjunction of the two, but you've been fabulously successful, fabulously successful in that area. But for those who have no idea who you are, can you give us the skinny on Paddy Finn? Yeah, so long story short, I started out self-publishing with my novels, uh, science fiction and fantasy, went full-time in 2018, um, and I started, you know, writing a few years before that with mixed success. And then in 2021, I pivoted into Kickstarter and the tabletop role-playing game industry. So anyone who doesn't really know what that is, it's Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. And yeah, so Kickstarter did a lot better than I expected. And um, that kind of became our focus for the last few years because we went on a crowdfunding roller coaster, I guess. And that's sort of where you are now. Can, can you just explain um, Dungeons & Dragons? I, I, it's one of those things, if people play it, they know it. If they don't play it, they have no idea. So, Yeah, like some people think it's a computer game. Some people think it's, it's a board game. It's ne neither of those things. It's, um, it, it literally comes in, this is one of our products. It's a book, right? It's a, usually US letter sized. Some of them are a bit smaller sometimes. It's just a book and it's full of rules and it's called pen and paper essentially because traditionally you would just build your character on a piece of paper and you would sit down at a table with a bunch of friends like you, you would if you're playing poker around a table with dice and sometimes little miniatures. Sometimes it's all theater of the mind and there are, there are no props or anything like that. And it's, it's literally um, an exercise in collaborative storytelling. So you have the DM, the dungeon master. He kind of like, he's arbitrary of the rules. Let's call him the narrator and the controller of the minor characters in the story. And then the, the rest of the people are the players and they control the main characters in the story. And together you flesh out the world, you go through the plot, you tell the story, you go on an adventure. And some of it's left up to chance because you know there are dice involved and some of it's left up to role playing. Uh, you just you, you describing your character. Okay. I, I mean, it sounds fun while you're talking about it. And Dungeons and Dragons itself evokes the kind of fantasy realm, but I think you get all sorts. You, you said you come from a sci-fi background, but you do get all sorts of themes now available, don't you? Yeah, I mean, Dungeons and Dragons was certainly what kicked the whole thing off back in, I believe, the 70s. Um, and, but since then, you know, it spawned science fiction uh, systems, systems to support multiple genres, Um you know, there's Blades in the Dark. I don't want to be going into all of them, but um, mm. there, 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 there's one in particular that just fits in with, it's pretty much, you can plug it into anything. So someone was asking me recently, hey, Paddy, what about turning my thriller novels into, you know, some sort of gaming system? And I was like, well, yeah, there's, the, the, you use this product instead because Dungeons and Dragons isn't so, sort of suited to that. So there are ways and means to plug other genres into these systems. Oh, that's intriguing. Can you turn almost any genre into this gaming system? Yeah, you can. Um, so there, there are, at these days, systems for everything. And it's the same sort of concept. You sit around a table, you play a tabletop role-playing game. And it's a very different form of media. And the reason I, I really, really enjoy this media, and I try to sort of sell this to especially authors because they kind of know where I'm coming from, is... Everyone, I feel, needs a creative outlet to some degree. And in today's world, we're so busy, uh, you know, probably working all day, looking after family, dealing with life's problems that you, we don't always get time to sit down and do something creative. And creativity is kind of frowned upon in certain parts of society. So we don't place as important or as big an emphasis on it as I think we should. And, you know, I, I think most authors will tell you if, if they don't write for a certain time, that starts to, you know, it's therapeutic for them. And if they stop doing it, they can really tell the difference. So I, I think that games like Dungeons and Dragons give people that opportunity to have a creative outlet that they don't really get elsewhere these days. Yeah. So tell tell us what the books, I mean, you, you held up. Most people listen to the podcast still, so a few people will have seen you know, a couple of thousand, two to three thousand watch it, but most people still listen. So you held up a couple of hardback, glossy books um, and you said this is the product. So just yeah. tell us what, what actually is in there, what you would need to do. So if you were taking your idea, your story, the universe you'd created and creating a, a product for the gaming world, what would it be like? Yeah. So... Um, uh 
this is one, it's full of, it's called Isengore's Vault of Tragic Treasure. It's literally just a book full of magic items that we made up. Um, right. Some of them are really silly and crude. They're just mainly dad jokes. Um, you know, there's an arrow in there with a punching glove attached to it, taken from a well-known superhero, you know, inspiration from from something in the Marvel Universe. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it is very much creative, uh, again, rules depend it depends on what you're doing as to how much you need to know about the rules sometimes you could just know the very basics because for example um this one uh the tome of adventure adventures are what people love because you get the feature you know new monsters new creatures weird and wonderful and crazy things and it's it's literally just i mean I don't, i'll just open it on a random page but you know it's okay so you've opened up a page and i can see an illustration of a pike type uh, um, yeah. weapon on the left and I'm not sure it's on, on the right. It's oh. kind of like a, it's like a mushroom of some sort. I was going to say, yeah. Like like a, a, I think, I yeah. think the, it's like a poisonous mushroom of some okay. variety. So, gotcha. you know, here's a, here's an item, two different items people can use. Um, here's a monster with a bunch of, you know, lore and writing and fantasy stuff, but some, some numbers, you know, because you do need some rules. And then most of the rest of the book is kind of just describing locations and people you meet and little scenarios that might unfold so i think a lot of authors kind of shy away from the idea of game mechanics but they might be surprised at not how little you need to know because i don't want to like under uh underplay <clears throat> anything because you do need to know some stuff but it's the, the the barrier to entry maybe isn't as big as you imagine okay so if I wanted to open an avenue for my Cold War thrillers, because I love the whole Cold War environment, you know, if you could parachute me into East Berlin as an MI6 agent in 1968, I'd, I'd never come back. <laughs> I mean, I'd, pro I'd probably be an incompetent spy and get shot on my first day, so that I wouldn't come back for that reason, but let's say I could respawn. So that, that potentially is something that could work in this, this environment. Yeah, you could you, literally any any genre, including that. In fact, there is a game, sort of along those lines. It's it's got like some other different things going on in it, but it has a, a bit of that flavor you, you mentioned. And I went to Games Expo UK in Birmingham earlier this year, which is like the biggest Games Expo in the UK in the course of the year, and um, the the biggest tabletop. Uh, expo and it was one i just saw this game and i thought hey that's really interesting so yeah i mean you can literally do things like this you can you can even like just mash genres up and do that and make them undead or okay. you know uh go do post-apocalyptic stuff in a fantasy setting um it, it, some systems are so versatile it's any anything you can imagine you could turn it into a game in that system what about if it's purely real world um, like, call, like, like the Call of Duties in the days before they went into space, and it's all based on actual um, weaponry from that era and, and so on. Would that work, or would you need some element of fantasy and magic? No, you wouldn't need any element of fantasy or magic or science fiction or anything. Um, like all the game system, the basic uh, for game design, the basic fundamental rules for me, like what I, what I guide myself and my team, are the people who are playing it, their characters, they need to meet someone cool, Go somewhere cool, find something cool, and get a cool reward, right? So that's very ambiguous, and you can literally fit anything into that. So if you can give that experience, no matter what wrapper you put around it to your players, that's that's a game that can't be created. And when you start playing, I'm trying to get my head around the idea that you don't have like a traditional objective that someone's set. So you're around this table, and you're basically coming up with the narrative. So so that that works, I guess. It would feel to me like I'd be nervous that people are just going to do almost nothing. It won't overlap and it's not going anywhere. But somehow people do end up with this interwoven story, do they? Yeah. Um, well, there are two parts of it. Generally speaking, you'll have like, you know, the rules and whatever in their own sort of books, source material or source mechanics. And yeah. then you'll have adventure books, which are just narrative. It's like, this is the city you're in. This is these are the different stores in the city or, you know, the, the, here is, you know, 19, whatever, 1930s, 1940s France. Um, and here are some of the goings on, uh, you know, during and after the war and stuff like that. So you can literally use any set. They're called setting books and you can set your game in any setting as long as the game mechanics support stuff. You know, for example, I can't take Dungeons and Dragons and go, you know, let's throw a Thompson machine gun in there because 
those don't those rules don't exist so you, you would use a different system that does support it okay all right well let's talk a bit about your business so you're you moved into this i mean first of all i'm guessing you were you were playing this is a universe you were aware of and and then you realized that somebody somewhere was writing the material for it and that could be you yeah i saw some people like run kickstarters for dungeons and dragons uh let's call them compendiums or content third party stuff and other other games not just dungeons and dragons but since i was playing that game anyway i've been playing it for like five years and i really enjoyed it it's kind of like my i play it once or twice a month with friends and it's the one time i get away just to switch off for a few hours a, a month so you know i was interested in it from that point if you had already done the novels and they were doing very well and i was just looking for other opportunities and i saw people doing like silly things on kickstarter making literally millions of dollars over the course of 30 days because they launched a book for Dungeons and Dragons. And I thought, I'll try that. And I did. And two years later, I'd made seven figures. Um, in fact, my second Kickstarter made six figures. And that that ran literally a month after my first Kickstarter finished. So it was like a very, I, I noticed there was an opportunity there. And when it when it sort of clicked how big of an opportunity it was i kind of just ran with it amazing and um kickstarters in terms of their their longevity do they do you make all the money is it like 90 percent of the money is made during that that beginning period or is there a way of continuing to sell them after that that bit's no. done i mean kickstarter for me is just the beginning of the journey in any product and this is something i try to you know when i speak at author conferences and whatnot and try to you know, make authors think about Kickstarter as something that plugs into the beginning of your existing business model. So it can f upfront the costs for things like editing, your book covers, audio, you know, marketing and other things. Um, and that's really powerful because what you normally do is, you, you know, you invest in these things, especially when you're starting out, you have to find, well, how am I going to fund them? Uh, you know, I get some sales, maybe put those straight back into the product, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that can take a long time to build up momentum. Um, and then, you know, you kind of have to scrape that all back from your sales later on before you, you break even and become profitable. Whereas Kickstarter has the potential to go, hey, just cover all those right away. You get the stuff out there. You give it to the people who helped you on Kickstarter, obviously, first. Um, because oh, thank you, people. You're awesome, and you helped me get this thing off the ground. Then when you put it up on Amazon or wide or wherever it is, it starts bringing in money. That's all, you know, I would say profit, but obviously minus whatever it costs for you to make a sale in terms of marketing. Um, so um, you're not clawing back, essentially, all those expenses. You've already covered them. And I think that's very powerful, especially if you're starting out and it, it's become a, a really cool part of your existing uh, your existing business. So there's that, there's aftermarket sales, and you know we can talk about printing and manufacturing later if we get to it, but yeah. Yeah, well, I was actually going to ask about the, um, the, the process. I mean, it looked like a physical product by and large, or is it something you can ship via uh, ebook as well? So um, we've been experimenting with uh, digital-only Kickstarter campaigns and on Backerkit crowdfunding, which is another pl uh, crowdfunding platform. Uh, Backerkit, I think they launched about a year and a half ago. Um, uh, they, they've been around for a long time as a company that sort of plugs into Kickstarter and helps you do bits and pieces like the shipping and, and, and that. But they've since launched their own platform, and it's very good. So it's one to, one to look out for. But we've been experimenting with just PDFs, and they've been doing really well. We'll do like $10,000 a Kickstarter. We'll do one, one of those each month. Um, the campaign only runs seven days, and then it takes us maybe another seven to 14 days to fulfill that order and finish creating that product because we kind of like create one, one a month anyway. Um, and yeah, so that's been doing really well, but that's not like the norm. The norm would be, hey, I've got this really great idea. I want to create this new series of books um, or, or novels or you know, a computer game, a film, like recently helped an author turn one of his series into a short film that then went on to win a whole bunch of awards. Um, novels ca can be a bit more difficult, but it can be done. I mean, Brandon Sanderson, you know, everyone talks yeah. about him and, and the immense success he's had on there. Some people have, have had, you know, not quite as much success, but still six figures on their novels and they're doing really well on there. And some people, you know, if you, even if you can do $10,000 or five, it just depends on where you're coming from in terms of your journey. But those, those can all... Um, it, 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 it's, it's 
the potential is there. Um, and then it depends on the size of you know the success. That and then you can figure out well, do I want to do printing as well, or do I want to expand into other mediums? Um, we we kind of do fifty fifty, I guess, if you broke it all down. And what you're driving traffic to? Um, or where are you selling into for this? Do you have a, a when you started off? Did you have an existing audience to work no. from? No, I, I, I mistakenly thought, um, hey, all of my science fiction and fantasy people will come over to Kickstarter, and none of them did. <laughs> right. And, and, and it's obviously, you know, if they're not going to follow you to a, a new genre, which we know yeah. usually doesn't happen depending on the genre, but if that's not going to happen, then of course they're not going to follow you over to a completely new medium and form of entertainment. So it was a matter of building it from scratch. Um, I, what I would do there if you were starting out is just look around. Where are your people? Are they hanging out in Facebook groups? Are they hanging out on subreddits? Um, that's where I started. I just asked a few questions. Hey, guys, I'm thinking of doing this thing. Can someone help me? And people just got really involved and wanted to help out. And then when they saw this thing you know, bore fruit, they started to want to be more involved with it. And then um, eventually we did start using uh, Facebook ads. We relied on those really heavily for a while. Um, we still use them, just not to the same degree. And also sponsorships on YouTube were immensely successful. Um, I would not I would not necessarily recommend that for novels, because in my experience, I've tried it for novels, and it's kind of just broken even and wasn't really worth the hassle. Um, but for D&D stuff, we can expect like four to 500% return on, on those sponsorships. Sponsorships on YouTube. You can just explain that to me. Yeah, so you know we're we're familiar with YouTube, and you often get like creators, and they're like, "Hey, today's sponsor is etc." You know, um, they're selling this mattress gotcha. or the, you know gotcha. v- Shark VPN or whatever it is, and um, only you're 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 going to Dungeons and Dragons influencers, and you're saying, "Hey, uh, we're releasing this Kickstarter. Can we team up? You know, uh, essentially, we'll give you money. We'll sponsor your your this video, and you give us a shout out and." a chunk of your audience will then go and click on our link and voila, we got a bunch of backers on Kickstarter. Okay. I mean, I'm loving the whole sound of this, Paddy. I know you've been so successful and I'm going to talk about your team in a moment, but um, I'm just thinking one question I didn't ask about the genres is, does this work for romance? Oh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not even touching that one, James. <laughs> no, is that a controversial question? It's not a controversial question. I just don't know anything about oh, I see, romance. Yeah. <laughs> so anything I say uh, may may be held against me. No, um, it, I'm sure it can. And I, actually, I had one author come to me last year, and she does write in the author uh genre i'm not sure which subgenre but she she was like well you know can we do something along the lines of dungeons and dragons etc and i was like you know um i think i saw someone do something like that and then i did a bit of research because there was this english company and they did something really clever and it was um they turned they turned it into like a wedding esque sort of uh, an adventure so you had to get prepared for the wedding and, and then you, you know you on your way to the wedding and you get there and then but there's like this thing goes down at the wedding and it's like a murder mystery type thing. So, okay. you know, there are very creative ways that you can take almost anything. And I, I'm I'm sure if there are authors who are listening to this and wondering about it and they write in, in romance, if they can write a novel, they're, they're creative enough to think of a way to make it fit into a game. Yeah. And I guess thinking about I love the expression on your face when I ask that question, although I'm going to screen grab it later. Um, the, uh, I love the, um, well, thinking about it, of course, the, the subgenres of romance make it such a broad, um, yeah. there's almost no such thing as romance, is there? But contemporary romance might be more difficult, but some of the dark romance, some of the romance suspense, all that stuff probably does well lend itself to. Yeah, you know, there's like you know, historical romance, you could say yeah. that. You know, I've seen one yes. set, set in medieval Scotland or whatnot with castles and guys yeah. in kilts and have at it you know do it it's a lot of that well you must be a you must be a celt you must consider yourself a celt you could get a, a, a i was gonna i almost said a skirt then but i'll get in trouble for it. you could get yourself in a um you, have yeah. you got a clan color um we uh, we are not so much into the whole tartan and the clan no. you know okay. sort of color here but i do have scottish roots and i do consider myself a celt for the record we, we actually have one of our books the 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 one we launched this year on Kickstarter did three hundred and thirty something thousand dollars in in a month, and that was actually a Celtic based setting. So it was like, hey, play Dungeons and Dragons and you know ancient Celtic uh, Manx or you know the, the Irish or 
Scottish lands or wherever you know the various places are we're drawing inspiration from and that I think people just love that idea so yeah I I think it goes down really well in the states I mean I've got a friend who writes Scottish historical romance and she'd like to write English historical romance but she says it's 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 got to be Scottish to sell Um, the brand the brand is better we haven't got our brand right in England Um, (laughs) you can work on it (laughs) I think we've been trying for the last hundred years but we'll see Um, let's not go down that one let's uh, let's talk about your team so you've said we quite a lot in this interview and I know that you have built a team around you Um, so how how and when did you scale up well when it was when I was doing novels, it was just me, really. I was kind of like a one-man band. But my wife would help out with proofreading and, and ideas. And even then, I would say we, because I just didn't feel like I, I owned all the credit for the products. But now we've grown to uh, nine full-time employees. Um, we had a bunch of contractors at one point. Uh, we have dozens and dozens of freelancers, writers, and artists, and graphic designers that we work with. And we really only started doing that it was kind of like after the first year of success, it was still only like three or four people. And then this this past year, especially uh, earlier in this year, things kind of ballooned. Um, and now we're trying to keep a, a bit of a, a tight rein on it now because it's like, this is already too much growth too soon. <laughs> and right. I'm struggling to keep my, you know, keep stay inside this vehicle because it's just going so fast. And I need to, you know, recenter myself and get to grips with things. And hopefully we'll grow again at some point and, and I don't know the next year or two, but it's like for now, it's like let's try and keep this thing on the ground. <laughs> I mean, that is an, an explosion in growth, isn't it? So nine nine full time employees. There's not many authors with big turnovers. I talk to have nine employees. Yeah, and even I, I was very. I just thought this was the way it happened um, until you know I started speaking to a lot of other game development studios and game publishing studios, um, going to different events around the world, and they would often say oh, nine full time. That's a lot of people. Like that's usually the sort of big the, the higher end companies in a given genre within that that industry they would be the ones who would have that kind of you know uh, workforce or whatever and i, and I was like really because yeah. to, to me it just makes more sense in terms of like free you can get freelancers it's very common to come in and do a bunch of work for you um on your project but like the, the, the amount of time that I would waste because like I'm an indie and I'm I, my I guess that one of the benefits that that we have as being in is we can move we can pivot really quickly right we're very versatile we're very flexible and if you start like you know hiring people for a duration and then they go away and you need to find someone else and that, that that stops the momentum and takes away that flexibility for me so if I have an employee they're always there they can always do the thing and I don't have to go and find them again so it to me, it just made sense, and I guess it's one of those things where I don't know. It's it's I'm just figuring it out as I go, and it's worked. Yeah, and uh, they I presume they'll work from home. You don't have a, an office. No, we we had an office that we <laughs> just before COVID kicked off. So right, um, and there were only like two or three of us at it anyway. And then we decided, you know what, we're we're not using this thing, so we're not renewing the lease on it. You know, a few years later, and then um, yeah, that's one of our policies now. It's like we're very. It's a very creative company, obviously. You know, we've got writers, editors, artists, uh, graphic designers, etc. Um, so we're. It's like I, I always say: the day that our company starts asking for timesheets is the day I no longer work here, yeah. right? because yeah. you, we we don't do that. It's like you work from wherever you want to work from. If you want to travel the world while you're working with us, so be it. In fact, one of our people did that for a while. And then um, it's like, you know, I don't even care what hours you work as long as the work gets done. Um, so we're, we're sort of really flexible. I guess we're very corporately progress. I don't even know if there's a word for it, but it's I, I, hate, I hate the whole corporate, corporate mm. uh, culture. And I try not yeah. to let that inhibit our creativity and our speed. So, yeah. No, it slowly kills your soul. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. Um, and so do you feel, you go around, so we, we bumped into each other in Mallorca, a mastermind that uh, Craig organized earlier this year, and I saw you again in Vegas. Do you, is that indie book world as important to you as going to like the gaming conferences and that environment? Yeah, in some ways it's more so, um, because uh, like, like both I would say are actually equally important, but in certain ways, the novel space is still more important to me because that's number one. I, I'm a storyteller. That's where my bread and butter is in, in terms of what I want to do. 
not just in what I'm kind of having to do as a business. So, I, and I've always wanted to circle back to that and go, okay, yeah, I got away from my indie publishing for a few years, but let's actually marry these two things together and make that happen. And I did launch a Kickstarter for a novel uh, earlier this year that did it did okay. It did fairly well because it's a it's a new uh, a new audience. Um, it did five figures if memory serves. But you know, it's like well. I'm still kind of trying to unmarry myself from everything else I'm doing and, and get back into the routine of writing. And once I do that and I start incorporating the novels into the Kickstarter side of things, I think it has huge potential as well. Yeah. Um, we should say you're in Northern Ireland. I think, are you in Belfast itself, Paddy? Or? I'm from I'm from Belfast, but I live yeah. near the North Coast now. Okay. Oh, lo- lovely. It's a beautiful part of, uh, of, the, um, of the UK, if you ever get there. Very green. I mean, it rains a lot, obviously, but then um, yeah. you don't get all the green meadows with that for nothing. Yeah. As long as you don't mind it raining 235 days of the year. <laughs> <laughs> I need to come over because uh, I've taken up golf in the last few years, and everyone keeps saying to me, have you been to Ireland or Northern Ireland yet and played golf? And apparently your courses are fabulous there. But um, Yeah, we have some immense courses here. We take our golf very seriously. But I'm wondering if it's uh, a bit of a... I know there's p- certain pockets of creativity around uh, certain countries in the UK. Is Northern Ireland a good place for this kind of creativity? You mean I mean, for... You've, you've, well, you've obviously found staff. But I'm, are they all there in Northern Ireland? Or are they around the world? Or? Um, actually, most of them are here. I mean, our freelancers come from everywhere, but just employing people for, for tax reasons, it kind of has to be in Northern Ireland preferably, but can be the United Kingdom. So we have a few, few people in England. Um, we have mainly people here in Northern Ireland and a few people in the Republic of Ireland. But um, yeah, it's, it's like a lot of the people, for example, they come from very very different backgrounds very few of them come from a dungeons and dragons background actually right. and that's one of the things that i'm big on as well is like i don't hire people for their skills i hire them for their values and you know how much they buy into the vision of the company and and you know the kind of people they are and whether i could trust them or not and things like that so my hiring process is very unconventional but also it's like skills you can, you can learn learn skills uh, people you know our art director he's he, he was a tattoo artist for a long time and one of the best in Northern Ireland. He's got more awards than I'll ever have for anything. And he became our art director and he didn't play Dungeons and Dragons, never heard of it before he started th- with the company. And it gradually, just over the, the first six months to a year, he learned the industry. And now he knows more about maybe not nine out of 10 people when it comes to you know working with artists in the D&D space. So, um, yeah, same with our graphics designer. He's been graphic designing for over 10 years, maybe 15 years. Didn't play Dungeons & Dragons before, came along. He learned everything he needed to know about d Now, there have been other people who did know Dungeons & Dragons, but um, mostly they didn't really, so they just picked that up. Is D&D generally done in person still, or is it mainly online? Um, mainly on. Well, no, it's, it's, I would say it's probably evenly split. It used to be mainly in person. Online was kind of taking off in the early teens, and I think COVID just accelerated that. So one of the difficult things, the most challenging things about playing a game like D&D is you used to have, you traditionally had to, you know, coordinate everyone's schedules and, you know, what's it like? It could be like herding cats getting, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of adults in a room once a week or once a month or whatever it is regularly. So that, 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 that's a big barrier for a lot of people. Whereas if you're doing it online, you've removed a big chunk of that. So it's easy to get on a zoom call, right. Then have it all travel to the same place. And um, that said, I, I personally provide, uh, prefer doing it in person because in person is just, you do not get the same experience online. Online is also awesome, by the way, I'm not knocking it, but um, you know, I've, I've run loads of D&D. Actually, during COVID, I did it for a bunch of author groups, and we just had a lot of fun. And then we, you know, when when the lockdown went away, so did so did the game because we all got busy again in other areas. So, um, yeah, either or. Yeah, I mean, I noticed you're running. I think you were running again. Well, someone was in Vegas, weren't they? Oh, there was a. Yeah. So there were. It's become kind of fair, it's becoming more frequent at, at Vegas, I think. So Luke Gygax r- runs a game there. Um, so he's son of one of the founders of the creator of D and D, really. Um, 
and he so people love playing in his games i've played in a few of them they're a lot of fun and then there are other games happening and i think i might run a few at some point so yeah it's just in, it's a lot of fun it's just a lot of fun sitting around and telling stories and having a laugh together and do your do your products work equally for online as as in-person versions of the game and does sorry for practical they're going to sound like stupid questions to you i'm afraid but um does everybody need to buy a copy of the book or does the dm buy a copy of the book how does you how does that work no, these are great questions. Normally, it's the DM who, the person who's running the game, would. And, but nor, you know, it's not uncommon for the players to chip in and help out with any expenses and things like that. Okay. But usually, it is that one person. Now, that said, there are books that are geared toward players, and those the players would buy and the DMs. So, uh, those can do a lot better, for example, than just a book for DMs. So, if you if you turn up for a game. The DM's got a copy of the book. So at this point, you don't yep. really know what the setting is, what weapons are available to you, what type of character you're going to choose. And the DM sets all this out, and that's part of the process of the evening. Or, yeah. Or that, afternoon. That's part of it. Like, if you um, are going to play, like, a, in a campaign for a long time, like, let's say, let's call this a novel. If you're going to do a novel together, uh, these games can run for years and years or even decades. Some of them have been running for. Then, you know, the first one, you're going to sit down and work out, well, what, what are we doing here? Let's build a character together. Let's do. Let's figure out what the rules are. Do we have any house rules? Is there other things we need to know about? Are you uncomfortable with anything? Do, do we need to discuss these things? Right. So, we would call out a session zero, and then you progress into the game. If you're doing something uh, like a one shot, which is I would consider that as a short story, you just you know, it's one game. You sit down and play it, and it's done and dusted. Um, you would, they would just hand you a character sheet, and you go, "You're that character. You're that character." Or you know, "Did you bring a character?" And you just play it and you have the beginning the middle the end and it's done and it's great and how much do people get into it in terms of um acting role play? <laughs> I'm, I'm, t- I'm tempted to have a go at this and I, i'm a, i've been a video gamer my whole life but i've never stepped into this yeah. realm but i'm tempted to have a go i'm also slightly nervous about it <laughs> hey i i love the theatrics of it i um big into the role playing aspect that the group i play with in person they take the role-playing bit quite seriously and it's a very big thing for them. So some will put on accents, some will get into their character and just, you know, they, they'll be like really, sometimes they'll be like really angry and really mean and you are and you can kind of take it personally. Like, are they, are they <laughs> shouting at me? Is this like, are they you're angry with me? <laughs> yeah, and then, and then the next minute they'll turn around and they'll talk to you and you're like, oh, right, they're just playing two different people. Um, <laughs> which, which can seem a bit weird. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, some people... You know, at some tables are like you'll have one or two people who are very much into that, and the rest they're just like they, they'd rather just play it. You, you don't have the role play at all. You can just play it whatever way you want to play it and whatever way makes you comfortable, really. But you do find after a while you do become more comfortable, especially if people at the table are already doing the thing, and it's just a great way to express your creativity. Yeah, sounds great. And um, how much do you charge for the books generally? I mean, I guess it's like a tiered options that you'll set up on on yeah. Kickstarter. So uh, there's no kind of like, you know, one rule for all these things, but uh, or one one ring to rule them all, <laughs> to <laughs> use a pun. But the, I guess the standard rule of thumb is $25 for a PDF and 60-ish dollars for a hard copy. And if they want like a, an alt cover, sometimes that's like 80 to $120. And a like leatherette special edition could be anything above that really and there's multi-use right you could do one of those pdfs one of those books could be done for one evening and then the same characters could have a completely different journey doing it the next night that's the beauty of that isn't it exactly the use the reusability of these things is you're never going to have the same adventure twice they're always going to be completely different and and going back to your team you're you're obviously the creator the storyteller the writer but you're taking people on not necessarily as writers then you're taking them on for as you say, kind of the values that they bring, but they must be creating content for you as well. You can't be creating all this content yourself. Oh no! Oh no! This is like I do the the ideas and some of the game mechanics, and the team does the rest of it. Um, I'll, I'll also, you know, do a bunch of writing, and I'm doing a lot more writing than I have been in a while, and I'm loving it. It's just it's great to get back to it because I was so focused on so so many businessy administrative things for a while, and I I, I kind of got lost in all that. But yeah, no, the team like I'd be completely lost without them. I mean, there's we have one line of products where it's it used to be you know I started it off and now they just do it and I don't even have a clue what's going on anymore. I, I lands on my desk one day and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I've never seen this before. 
Oh, that, I mean, that's that's interesting to me because because of the way you recruited people, that we almost think, well, we're right. Are you a writer? He's not a writer. I'm a writer. So we're going to need a writer. But actually, yeah. you don't need a writer. You need a person. Yeah. Like, if you want to put out, like, a serious amount of novels every month and then you want to lean into, you know, um, are you putting out enough that it's cheaper for you to hire a cover designer rather than pay them every time for every cover? What about audio? You know, is are you putting out so many books that you could be turning them all into audiobooks and making a lot of income? And it'd be easier just to hire the audio person on a producer. And what about someone to run your ads for you full time as a marketer? If you have all this huge catalog of content and potential, you know, so it's it's one of those things where I can't do all that. And yeah, I, I mean, I can, but I'm only going. I'm going to be so limited, right? So scaling a business, when you scale a business, you get to a certain point where you know, hey, yeah, I could scale this thing and I can grow it out. And it's great, but you know, I need if I want to go any bigger, I need other people to, to help me. Otherwise, it's not going to go any any further. Yeah. So you think you're slightly pausing the the relentless expansion for the moment, and you, it seems like you've yeah. refocused yourself a little bit on what you enjoy doing. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. It became uh, like again. I've never run a company where I've hired people before, so this is all like hiring people. This is, and, and in fact, I used to think I'm never hiring people ever. Um, if I ever go into my <laughs> the business for myself, I cannot. I don't want to deal with that sort of, you know, the, the, that complexity. But it just sort of happened that that was the way it had to go, and I'm glad it did because we are so fortunate, like to be to, to work with incredibly talented and amazing people and. What was your question again, James? Sorry. Yeah, I was asking whether you are going to pause your kind of expansion. And it, oh. it, like I say, you, you've mentioned a couple of times that you're doing a little bit more writing and stepping back a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I want to I want to train and manage people less and expand my creativity more. Um, like I've, there are certain things that I've fallen behind on on deadlines and whatnot that I need to bring up to date. And then there are all these other ideas that I want to get back to working on. You know, I've got as, as you know you and any other author knows once you start writing one series you have all these ideas for different things and sometimes it could become a bit overwhelming so there are those things that i want to do at some point right i don't want to just want to keep working on the same thing yeah you don't want to end up just running a company um yeah exactly like, yeah it's understandable yeah. well paddy you better tell us where we can find you and where we can buy one of these amazing books which by the way i'm going to do ah okay so um, you can find my Dungeons and Dragons stuff on pennydragon.games. Um, you can find a bunch of stuff on paddyfin.com, generally nonfiction stuff. And I'm actually in the process of putting together a course on running Kickstarter for creatives. Um, it takes you through three Kickstarter, uh, a three Kickstarter plan, essentially. And that course will be soft launching soon. Um, will be hard launched in. Um, I don't know what's when will this be going out. I guess. Well, it might be going soon. I'm thinking actually because of the sort of topic and the way we've spoken, this could be the Christmas episode. So it might be oh, quite soon. Cool. Yeah. So it'll it'll be head, the the course will hard launch in January 2024. And you can find out more about that in the group Kickstarter University. Just look that up on Facebook. Um, if not, drop me an email at pattyfin.com. Go onto that website, fill in the form, and I'll be happy to answer your questions. Great. Well, Paddy, it's been brilliant talking to you. I knew it would be, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, so what would you recommend for somebody who wants to sort of read into it a little bit and try to understand a bit more about the D&D world? But uh, like I think quite a few people might say this, I'm not... I'm not really the fantasy Lord of the Rings person. I am much more Call of Duty, Cold War. I mean, science science fiction's fine. So, is there is there something you'd recommend for me to dip my toes? What about horror stuff like that? Is that yeah, a, yeah, yeah, like horror. So, I mean, see if you can get a game of Call of Cthulhu with someone, which is essentially horror struck mystery where you're trying to solve this thing and you know it's a bit darker a bit creepier but it's also a bit more real life though it's generally it's, it could be set in any time period but very often it's set in kind of like the the, the 30s 40s 50s kind of okay. time period early 1900s as well so um and, and or just play any game because even if you're not into the genre it just gives you a little like a better right because it's, it's it's one thing me sitting here just describing it to you but i could never 
do it justice. It would take you to sit down and play the game, and then so you'll be like, I can never describe this to someone because it's just indescribable. That's that's what it feels like. Call of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu. Cthulhu. There you go. I'll have a little look at that, and um, yeah, I'm intrigued by it all. So uh, brilliant to chat to you, Paddy. I'll see you sure at some point um, somewhere. <laughs> see you later, James. This is the self-publishing show. There's never been a better time to be a writer. There we go, Paddy Finn. Really love talking to Paddy. I bumped into him a couple of times this year at uh, conferences in Mallorca and in Vegas. And um, yeah, have you ever played D and D, Mark? You ever sat down and played it? Uh, yes, a very, very long time ago, probably when I was a teenager. Um, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'm mean, I used to love game books and things like you know choose your own adventure to start with then fighting fantasy and um actually lone wolf so there's another kind of um blast in the past you might not remember that but there's i really love those books and the author was someone called joe diva and his son is someone called i think gary diva and is um is in our community and asks uh, took oh. some of our courses which was is pretty cool but yes yeah, so I, I i have done them before and i think they're i think it's great um you know anyway the stranger things and everything is making making it extremely hip again yes. to, to play D D. yes well i'd like to have a go at some point so i need to find some fellow nerds around here um mm. good okay look uh that's it for this christmas edition of the episode um you're probably watching this in july but uh anyway uh we're wearing our christmas jumpers we have to peel them off because we have to record another episode in a minute and the, and the christmas tree will mm-hmm. be down by the time this next episode goes out um, but yeah. that's it. Thank you very much indeed for being with us through this year. The next episode is a Mark Dawson solo. He's getting rather good at these. Um, so I think we should probably say thank you to everyone for listening for the year in this episode. Um, it uh, would be pointless, me and Mark, just bickering to each other. Um, so to have you laughing at us as well uh, means everything to us. And every time someone comes up to me with saying, us. hey, with us. With us. With us. Yeah. Not at yeah. us. With if us. If you like. Actually, maybe um, at us. Yeah, every possibly. time we get an email or a note or someone says to me that they listen to the show, it um, puts a spring in my step. We, we love hearing from that, hearing from you. So always contact us and come and say hello. Um, but yeah, it's been a great year and uh, we're looking forward to 2024. Our first interview of the new year will be with our German friend, our German dynamo, Mark Racklau, who's going to get you energized and ready for 2024 so that episode coming first week of january that's it happy christmas and all that remains for me to say is it's a goodbye from him well it's a, it's a happy christmas from him and it's a happy christmas from me happy christmas happy christmas get show notes the podcast archive and free resources to boost your writing career at selfpublishingshow.com Join our thriving Facebook group at selfpublishingshow.com forward slash Facebook. Support the show at patreon.com forward slash selfpublishingshow. And join us next week for more help and inspiration so that you can make your mark as a successful indie author. Publishing is changing, so get your words into the world and join the revolution with The Self-Publishing Show.